Hi, my name is Matthew Belisario. Welcome to the Catholic Champion Podcast. Today's episode is going to be on contraception in the Catholic Church. This is a very important subject for Catholics. Today, more than ever, we have Catholics using artificial contraception to interrupt the procreative aspect of the conjugal act. And I think it's safe to say that this really rubbed off on Catholics from the Protestants. It's a fact that all major Protestant denominations before the 1930s believed that using contraception was immoral. And what I find so fascinating about this, and I've tried to draw in Protestant apologists on this particular issue, but they always seem to want to avoid this particular topic. And it's easy to see why they, they try to avoid this topic, because all of their Protestant founders, Martin Luther, John Calvin, and several others, actually almost all that I know of, when their interpret, interpretation of Genesis 38, they interpreted it as being a strong teaching against using contraception. In fact, Martin Luther's lectures on Genesis 38, he interprets the sin of Onan as a contraceptive act, which was viewed by Luther as a disgraceful sin. But yet, ask any Lutheran or Reformed apologist for the Protestants nowadays, ask them how they interpret that and they'll run with their tail between their legs uh, because now their interpretation is no longer the same. Just another example of the failures of Scripture alone, the Scripture alone mentality. So, now I want to look at the, the, the church's teaching, the Catholic church's teaching on this particular subject. And really the main focus of my of, of the podcast is going to be proving that this is a unchangeable doctrine taught by the Catholic church. And I urge all Catholics to come and to, to assent to the teaching of the Catholic church and not to dissent from it. Don't go around and look for a liberal... Uh, theologian or somebody who's going to go against the clear teaching of the Catholic Church. I'm going to demonstrate today that anyone can understand this teaching who reads any of these documents, the official church documents, and there is no question that none of this stuff is up for discussion. It's all clear teaching, and it's a teaching that is unchangeable. It is irreformable. There are two particular things I want to look at before we get started about the Catholic Church itself. Now, the Catholic Church teaches with the authority of Christ. When it teaches faith in morals, it teaches it infallibly. Now, there are two essential elements that the Church uses to form her moral teachings. The first, of course, is divine revelation, which is revealed through tradition which includes sacred scripture. And also another important element to the church's teaching is her ability to observe and and, and interpret the natural law as God has revealed it to us in creation. These two things go hand in hand because the natural law really gives us a deep explanation into morality, which is really often overlooked by those outside the church. In 1975, the Sacred Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith wrote this. But in fact, divine revelation and in its own proper order, philosophical wisdom, emphasize the authentic exigencies of human nature. They thereby necessarily manifest the existence of immutable laws inscribed in the constitutive elements of human nature and which are revealed to be identical in all beings endowed with reason. This is an interesting statement by the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith in 1975. There's a few words here that we really want to look at. That the words that are used in this particular document are immutable laws, which are inscribed in the elements of human nature, and they are revealed to be identical in all beings and die with reason, which means all human beings. 
Now, immutable means unchangeable for those who don't uh, hear that word very often. So the church, I'm laying down a foundation here showing how the church is looking at natural law and how it is exercising an authority over natural law. And it's telling us that there are certain elements that are inscribed in human beings which are immutable. Now, the Catholic Church is the pillar and bulwark of truth. And with the Holy Spirit, the assistance of the Holy Spirit, she preserves and promulgates the truths of the moral order without error. And I wanted to look at another document which tells us a little bit more about this in more detail. Persona Humana states, Furthermore, Christ instituted his church as the pillar and bulwark of truth. With the Holy Spirit's assistance, she ceaselessly preserves and transmits without error the truths of the moral order, and she authentically interprets not only the revealed positive law, but also those principles of the moral order which have their origin in human nature itself and which concerns man's full development and sanctification. Now, in fact, the church throughout her history has always considered a certain number of precepts of the natural law as having an absolute and immutable value. And in their transgression, she has seen a contradiction of the teaching in the spirit of the gospel. Now, this is another example. This document, Persona Humana, tells us once again that there are certain things. There's a certain revealed positive law among the, nat- the natural order, which is immutable. These things cannot be changed. They have an absolute and immutable value to them. We're going to see how this pertains to contraception here in just a little bit. But I just wanted to lay down this basic framework because it's very important that, this, that we understand the basic framework that the church is working from here. It's not just the scriptures alone. It's not even just tradition alone. This is a living and breathing church guided by the Holy Spirit, and the church exercises an authority over, over creation, uh, the, human crea- you know, the, the, the creation of the human being. And of course, it's because God is the creator of us, and he reveals certain truths about us through his church. So this is very important to understand. Now, as Catholics, it's important for us to understand this because we must give our assent to the church because we're giving our assent to God when we do so. So God reveals this to us. It's our job to assent to this teaching. Now, in order to understand these moral issues, such as contraception, we really have to understand the church's view of the human person and the church's view of the conjugal act. Man was created by God uh, so that he may have eternal life. But when we, you know, arbitrarily overstep our bounds in the realm of creation, we upset that natural law. Uh, there are many other moral questions which are going to tie into this particular topic of contraception. It doesn't stand alone on its own. There are other things that tie into the natural law that would all be upset if this one particular teaching uh, changed or was able to be changed. It would, it would really upset everything. Such issues such as... Uh, Artificial insemination, sterilization, uh, teaching uh, the, the church's constant teaching against uh, masturbation and, and, and things like this. They're all tied together. And they're all, if, if one of these teachings change, then they all change. So if it's not a, one of these are, are not immoral, then they're all not immoral. And if they're all immoral or one of them is immoral, then they're all immoral. So we need to understand this when we examine uh, such moral questions, such as contraception. It cannot be understood outside of human nature and the complete person. Now, moral matters that pertain to the conjugal act are of utmost importance. This is very important for the survival of, of the human race. It's very important for the survival of the church. And we have to understand that we, as part of the church, if we go against the church's teachings on this uh, on this particular topic, contraception or any of these uh, these uh, teachings that are based in natural law, 
then we are really uh, going against the, God's creation. Persona Humana tells us the following. In moral matters, man cannot make value judgments according to his personal whim. In the depths of his conscience, man detects a law which he does not impose on himself, but which holds him to obedience. For man has in his heart a law written by God. To obey it is the very dignity of man. According to it, he will be judged. So it must be understood that when the church teaches something like this, it is not a uh, option, you know, an optional teaching. Well, you know, we can use contraception if we want. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, it is a big deal. It really goes down to the core of the human person. Now, it's also important to understand that the Catholic uh, Church's view on human sexuality uh, is in close conjunction with society in general and man's relation to God in society. So if we have a whole group of people uh, calling themselves Christians who rebel against the very nature, the natural law, then we're going to have big consequences. Uh, Pope John Paul II emphasized that humanity cannot live as if God did not exist. Um, today's culture of death, as John Paul II uh, denotes it, observes uh, only the fallen nature of sexuality and dismisses God as the primary focus, which he has also revealed in his creation. The church emphasizes not only the consequences of individuals uh, who exercise sexual immorality, but the consequences that fall upon the whole culture and society as well. And so this is really important for us to understand. It's not just an individual choice. Uh, choosing to rebel against the natural law, choosing to separate the uh, two uh, components of the conjugal act, that being the unitive and the procreative, when we separate those two and we look at the sexual act the conjugal act as uh, just with a fallen nature, then we really begin to disrupt the whole moral order of society. We have to keep this in mind. This is very important. Now, I want to go back to natural law for a moment because the church's teaching in natural law is absolute and immutable. Now, natural law is of the utmost importance when we are addressing these moral acts of humanity. There are certain revealed truths in the natural law which we cannot ignore and they cannot be changed since they're in, in, they're an innate part of God's creation. Um, when the Catholic Church deduces and defines certain truths that are revealed in the natural law, they cannot be changed. The earlier passage that I quoted uh, has defined certain aspects of the natural law to be immutable and absolute. This means that it is defined and unchangeable. Now, I want to look at a few premises that the Catholic Church has defined regarding the natural law and human sexuality before I even address contraception specifically. Because I really believe that this is one of the underpinnings of the Church's teaching when it comes to all sexual morality. Pope Pius XII wrote in allocution to the midwives in October 29th, of 1951. In it, he made it very clear that the church had previously solemnly defined certain principles of the natural law and the conjugal act that can never be abrogated. So I want to read that to you. He wrote, Our predecessor, Pius XI of Happy Memory, in his encyclical Caste Canubi of December 31st, 1930, once again solemnly proclaimed the fundamental law of the conjugal act and conjugal relations, that every attempt of either husband or wife in the performance of the conjugal act or in the development of its natural consequences, consequences which aims at depriving it of its inherent force and hinders the procreation of new life is immoral, and that no indication or need can convert an act which is intrinsically immoral, into a moral and lawful one. This precept is in full force today as it was in the past, and so it will be in the future also and always, because it is not 
a simple human whim, but the expression of a natural and divine law. This is very a very telling statement by the Pope here. And he is quoting the encyclical Casta Canubi, which we're going to uh, visit here in just a little bit. Because the Pope addresses this particular document. But once again, let's look at some of the words that are used in his writing. Um, he talks about that this is a fundamental law. He says it's solemnly proclaimed. He says that the act can never be uh, the act of, of contraception uh, or anything that hinders the, hinders the conjugal act and its development of, of new life is immoral. And he also says that the precept is in full force today as it was in the past and it will be in the future also and always. And then he says, why? Because it's an expression of the natural law. So we can see once again, this is something that's not going to be able to be changed. It is written in God's creation. So just from this basic proclamation regarding natural law and the conjugal act, the use of contraception can never be accepted by the church. So let's move on. I want to move on to the, the document that the Pope quoted from Casti Canubi. Now, there are many liberals out there who think or seem to presume that Humani Vitae was the first encyclical to condemn contraception. And I find it really interesting that, you know, we had the Winnipeg statement by the Canadian bishops when Humani Vitae came out and all these bishops rebelled against the church's decision. And I always find it interesting that they decided to come out and rebel at that particular point in time. Uh, because the church had already released uh, an encyclical stating very much the same things that Humanae Vitae uh, talked about. Uh, Humanae Vitae just went a little further into detail. But Costa Canubi really uh, laid down a solid foundation for what the church's teaching is uh, regarding uh, human sexuality and the natural law. Uh, so, Humanae Vitae was not the first encyclical to condemn contraception. Uh, Pope Pius XI penned his encyclical Casta Canubi in 1930 when the Protestants began to revolt against God's natural law. They succumbed to the use of artificial contraception at the Lambeth Conference. And ever since then, Protestantism has accepted the use of contraception and they have suffer the consequences for that and will continue to do so until they learn to obey God's church. Uh, the Catholic Church, you know, has, has not only held to the age-old teaching against contraception, but it clarified it further than it had before 1930. Uh, the Pope writes in reference to the encyclical focused on marriage and human sexuality. The Pope writes the following, in doing so, we follow the footsteps of our predecessor, Leo XIII, of happy memory, whose encyclical, Arcanum, published 50 years ago, we hereby confirm and make our own, and while we wish to expound more fully certain points called for by the circumstances of our times, nevertheless, we declare that far from being obsolete, it retains its full force at the present day. Uh, the encyclical Casa Canubi uh, covers the sacrament of marriage, and it declares that what is about to present is immutable or unchangeable. So this is important again. It says, quote, And to begin with that, with that same encyclical, which is wholly concerned in vindicating the divine institution of matrimony, its sacramental dignity, and its perpetual st stability, let it be repeated as an immutable, an inviolable fundamental doctrine that matrimony was not instituted or restored by man, but by God. Not by man were the laws made to strengthen and confirm and elevate it, but by God, the author of nature, and by Christ our Lord, whom by nature was redeemed. And hence these laws cannot be subject to any human decrees 
or to any contrary pact, even of the spouses themselves. So now I really want to look at what the encyclical says about human sexuality and, and, and marriage, because it really focuses directly on the conjugal act. So let's go through a few paragraphs of this, of this encyclical. Paragraph one opens with thus amongst the blessings of marriage, the child holds the first place. Number two, but no reason, however grave, may be put forward by which anything intrinsically against nature may become conformable to nature and morally good, since therefore the conjugal act is destined primarily by nature for the begetting of children. Those who in exercising it deliberately frustrate its natural power and propose sin against nature and commit a deed which is shameful and intrinsically vicious. Some key words here that we should recognize are intrinsically and so the encyclical is telling us right here that these, if, if we propose anything that goes against the natural law, which is uh, the, the procreative part of the conjugal act, is shameful and intrinsically vicious. But the document doesn't stop there. It continues on. Paragraph 3.56 says the following. Since, therefore, openly departing from the uninterrupted Christian tradition, some recently have judged it possible solemnly to declare another doctrine regarding this question. The Catholic Church, to whom God has entrusted defense of the integrity and purity of morals, standing erect in the midst of the moral ruin which surrounds her, in order that she may preserve the chastity of the nuptial union from being defiled by this foul stain, raises her voice in token of her divine ambassadorship and through our mouth proclaims anew any use whatsoever of matrimony exercised in such a way that the act is deliberately frustrated in its natural power to generate life is an offense against the law of God and of nature. And those who indulge in such are branded with the guilt of a grave sin. I want everybody who's listening to this to really pay attention to what the church is saying here. It is, it, let, me, let me read this one more time, this last part of it. Any use whatsoever of matrimony exercised in such a way that the act is deliberately frustrated in its natural power to generate life is an offense against the law of God and of nature. And those who indulge in such are branded with the guilt of a grave sin. So here the church is telling us a couple of things. A, this is grave matter. And we all know what grave matter means. It's a mortal sin. It's grave matter. It's telling us that those who indulge in a contraceptive act are guilty of a grave sin. And the church is also telling us again that it goes against the law of God and natural law. So... Not only has the church solemnly defined this teaching, but it's putting the weight of the entire church tradition behind it. Because the document clearly says that there are people who are departing from the uninterrupted Christian tradition. And of course, the church was primarily at that time talking about the Protestants who had all of a sudden said, well, we're going to reject all of that and we're going to just set it aside and we're not going to pay attention to it anymore and we're going to do whatever we want. And yet, Luther and Calvin and the like would have been rolling over in their graves, I'm sure. So the encyclical tells us that those, who, you know, those who also think it's possible to declare another doctrine uh, that opposes this are in, in, in grave error. So if we have even bishops or priests nowadays telling us that we can go against it, we know that the church has officially in her documents has told us that we cannot. Now, Pope Paul VI, uh, about 38 years later, he just expounds upon this basic immutable premise in Humani Vitae. And there are a lot of people who have come up and said that Humani Vitae is not an infallible statement, this and that. Well, it doesn't have to be an infallible statement. Humani Vitae uh, was already building off an infallible framework, which I've already given you here. So 
the church didn't have to say that humani vitae was infallible because the natural law itself is infallible. And so this immutable teaching has, had been determined long before humani vitae was penned. Both Pope Pius XI and Pius XII tell us so in various documents as well, two I've already quoted. So before we even get to humani vitae, the church has always present, you know, has already presented this basic uh, principle regarding the conjugal act in conjunction with the natural law to be immutable or unchangeable. So now that brings us up to 1968 and humani vitae, which I'm going to talk about now. Now, the interesting thing about humani vitae is it falls right in line with all the documents that I've quoted to you. It falls in line by holding up the authority of the church to interpret the natural law. And it tells us that it is building on that, that tradition. And it also tells us that the natural law is a immutable teaching, which means it can't be changed. So in 1968, Pope Paul VI comes out with Humani Vitae. And what this did was it pulled together the church's constant teaching regarding sexual morality. What's interesting is in the opening letter, the weight of the entire church is once again put behind the text of the document and the teaching that it declares. The document is not really promulgating any new doctrine or dogma. It's expounding and building upon what the church had already found to be absolute and immutable. So this is important. Humani Vitae is not the beginning and the end of the teaching of the Catholic Church. It's a building block. Uh, it, it is another uh, document which expanded upon what the church had already been teaching for since the beginning, since, since the church had been founded. So this is where I want to start off is with Humani Vitae talking about the authority of the church that's behind the document. And it says this, the, the kind of question requires from the teaching authority of the church a new and deeper reflection on the principles of the moral teaching on marriage, a teaching which is based on the natural law as illuminated and enriched by divine revelation. So this is following uh, right in line with what the church had always taught. It says, no member of the faithful can possibly deny that the church is competent in her magisterium to interpret the natural moral law. Now listen carefully what it says next. It is in fact indisputable, as our predecessors have many times declared, that Jesus Christ, when he communicated his divine power to Peter and the other apostles and sent them to teach all nations his commandments, constituted them as the authentic guardians and interpreters of the whole moral law, not only, that is, of the law of the gospel, but also of the natural law. For the natural law, too, declares the will of God, and its faithful observance is necessary, listen carefully, its faithful observance is necessary for men's eternal salvation. It says, in carrying out this mandate, the church has always issued appropriate documents on the nature of marriage, the correct use of conjugal rights, and the duties of spouses. These documents have been more, cop more copious in recent times. So once again, we see the church here telling us that this is immutable, indisputable. The document talks about the predecessors that came before them in the church, goes back to the apostles. And it says that the natural law itself declares the will of God. But one key thing that it says is, it's faithful observant, observance is necessary for men's eternal salvation. So the next time somebody tells me that this teaching is up for grabs, it doesn't matter, we can do whatever we want, I'm going to quote them, this text, which tells us what? This is necessary for eternal salvation. That means, folks, if you're using contraception, if you're Catholic, stop. Go to prayer. Look at the church. The church is trying to tell you what's good for you. This is, uh, of course, a very heated subject with many people. But I think God knows us better than we know ourselves. 
the decline in birth rates is destroying the church and destroying Western civilization. And really, the fact of the matter is we deserve it. Because what are we doing? We are transgressing the divine law that Christ has given to us. We are going against the natural law, which is part of God's creation. We're going against our very, uh, the way God created us. So, uh, this document is interesting that it points out that it sees the adherence to the natural law as being necessary for salvation. This is key, and it demonstrates that the church had considered the subject to be infallible, since a changeable doctrine certainly couldn't be something that a man could really uh, lose his soul over and be referred to as transgressing something that is immutable, cannot be changed, and is being necessary for salvation. Now, Humani Vitae restates what Pope Pius XI's encyclical had stated regarding the conjugal act, and it made it even a little clearer. It said the following, Similarly excluded is any action which either before, at the moment of, or after sexual intercourse is specifically intended to prevent procreation, whether as an end or as a means. So this would refer to all forms of artificial contraception. It continues on. Neither is it valid to argue as a justification for sexual intercourse, which is deliberately contraceptive, that a lesser evil is to be preferred to a greater one, or that such intercourse would merge with procreative acts of past and future to form a single entity, and so be qualified by exactly the same moral goodness as these. It says, though it is true that sometimes it is lawful to tolerate a lesser moral evil in order to avoid a greater evil or in order to promote a greater good, it is never lawful, even for the gravest reasons, to do evil that a good may come of it. In other words, to intend directly something which is of its very nature contradicts the moral order and which must therefore be judged unworthy of a man even though the intention is to protect or promote the welfare or an, of an individual, of a family, or of society in general. So this really puts to rest all of these um, people who call themselves, call themselves Catholics who are saying that we can use condoms over in Africa to stop the spread of AIDS. This puts, a, uh, puts a, uh, an end to that argument. All you have to do is read what the document official church document just told us it told us that this is it's an evil act to do this um, and we cannot use something that's intrinsically evil in order to try and uh, promote a greater good from it so i hope that uh, i just wish people would read these and listen to the church's official teaching instead of listening to private opinions of people that directly go against the church's official teaching Now, the church in her infinite wisdom, of course, did not stop with Humanae Vitae. Of course not. Well, how could she when you have so many, uh, I, I call them heretics because they're blatantly going against the church's teaching, those who are in the Catholic church and who rebel against uh, immutable teachings are, are heretics. So Pope John Paul II put together a, seri a series of addresses which is referred now uh, as the theology of the body. But in it, he restates what had been passed down to him regarding sexual morality uh, by his predecessors. Um, he has also made very, you know, he had made various statements about the infallibility uh, of, the, of the teaching on contraception in many of his private and public statements that he made uh, throughout his papacy. And I'll just quote a couple of these. Um, of course, him speaking in just private or uh, private audiences and, and things like that. They're not infallible statements. But it's going to give you an idea on how the Pope himself viewed these particular teachings. For instance, in 1987, he made the following two statements at a natural family planning conference. He said, What is taught by the church on contraception does not belong to material, to material freely debatable among theologians. End quote. So right there, Pope John Paul II, it is recorded that he had said that this material is not debatable among theologians. Yet, what do we continue to see today? 
those who want to debate it. Well, of course, real Catholics don't listen to them. He also said, those who argue otherwise, in open contrast with the law of God, authentically taught by the church, God couples down a wrong path. Now, in 1979, he also addressed the U.S. bishops with the following statement. In exalting the beauty of marriage, you rightly spoke against both the ideology of contraception and contraceptive acts, as did the encyclical Humanae Vitae, and I myself, with the same conviction of Pope Paul VI, ratify the teachings of this encyclical, which was put forth by my predecessor by virtue of the mandate entrusted to us by Christ. So over and over, we're going to see this, uh, this uh, mentality uh, by the Pope uh, is he's going to support what all these documents, official church teachings, said. Finally, in 1980, I wanted to, to quote this, uh, the Pope was addressing the Indonesian bishops, and he said the following, In the question of the Church's teaching on the regulation of birth, we are called to profess in union with the whole Church the exigent but uplifting teaching recorded in the encyclical Humanae Vitae, which my predecessor, Paul VI, put forth by virtue of the mandate entrusted to us by Christ. He also said, particularly in this regard, we must be conscious of the fact that God's wisdom supersedes human calculation and his grace is powerful in people's lives. He also said, contraception is to be judged objectively so illicit that it can never, for any reason, be justified. I believe it is clear that Pope John Paul II also saw this teaching as being absolute and an immutable truth which was not up for discussion but of course we had people in the church calling themselves catholics who also ignored the pope and ignored all the official documents written by the church over the years and so they once again had to release another document so let's take a look at that let's look at the Adamecum for Confessors, concerning some aspects of the morality of conjugal life. You know, even though the church had professed this teaching over and over for ages, and over the past 80 years, she has really come out and clarified, again, the teaching. We, you know, and we still have dissenters who call themselves Catholics, who claim that the teaching is not infallible, which I just find amazing. Uh, I think that these, these documents can't be any clearer. Uh, so for this reason, in 1997, the Vatican again had to come out and release a document, the Vatican for Confessors. It was penned by the Pontifical Council for the Family, so it's an authentic church document. And it opens with the defense of the family and marriage. And it says the following. The family, which the Second Vatican Council has defined as the domestic sanctuary of the Church and as the primary vital cell of society, constitutes a, a privileged object of the Church's pastoral attention. At a moment of history in which the family is the object of numerous forces that seek to destroy it or in some way to deform it, and aware that the well-being of society and her own good are intimately tied to the good of the family, the Church perceives in a more urgent and compelling way her mission of proclaiming to all people the plan of God for marriage and the family. So we're seeing, once again, the church is coming out. It's saying it has this authority. It's talking about, it's really pinpointing now, in 1997, when, when the, the Vatican drafted this document, looking at how deformed society was becoming because of this destruction of a contraceptive mentality and with it all the things that came with it the home the acceptance of homosexuality uh, we now have homosexual couples uh, adopting children we have the family being completely dismantled and this is all a result of the rejection of God's natural law so let's look at, I want to really go into this document and look at what the church says, it, because this is really important. This is a, a, 
a more modern document from 1997. The other documents that I quoted were from quite some time ago. And so this is really going to, once again, solidify this teaching. It says, therefore, among the fundamental moral principles of conjugal life, it is necessary to keep in mind the inseparable connection willed by God and unable to be broken by man on his own initiative between the two meanings of the conjugal act, the unitive meaning and the procreative meaning. Once again, the church is going back and reaffirming what she has been saying all along. Next, it says, throughout this century, the Supreme Pontiffs have issued various documents expounding, expounding on the principal moral truths on conjugal chastity. Among these, special mention is due to the encyclical Casti Canubi, 1930, of Pius XI, uh, 12 numerous discourses of Pius XII. Um, we have hum, uh, the encyclical Humanae Vitae in 1966 of Pope Paul VI. We have the ex, uh, apostolic exhortation of uh, Familiaris Consortio in 1981, uh, the letter to the families, uh, and the encyclical Evangelium Vitae in 1995 from Pope, Paul, uh, Pope John Paul II. And together with these, the pastoral constitution, Gaudium et Spes, which is from Vatican II in 1965, and it mentions the Catechism of the Catholic Church, 1992. Then it goes on to say the following, Contraception, directly opposed to transmission of life, betrays and falsifies the self-sacrificing love proper to marriage, altering its value of total self-giving and contradicting God's design of love, in which it has been granted to married couples to participate. Now, the next part that's coming up in paragraph four, once again, how many times does a church have to tell us? How many times in her official documents does a church has to tell us something? And yet you still have people out there who refuse to listen. It's amazing. Uh, so in paragraph four, the church is going to explicitly tell us that the, 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 this, this teaching on contraception, on, on the conjugal act, is Definitive, and it uses another word, irreformable. Paragraph 4 says, The church is always taught the intrinsic evil of contraception, that is, of every marital act intentionally rendered unfruitful. This teaching is to be held as definitive and irreformable. Contraception is gravely opposed to marital chastity. It is contrary to the good of transmission of life and to the reciprocal self-giving of the spouses, which is the unitive aspect of, of matrimony. It harms true love and denies the sovereign role of God in the transmission of life. Once again, the church tells us this is teaching is to be held as definitive, irreformable. It's used the terms immutable. All of these, not once, not twice, but many times. I can go on with many more documents that attest to this. We can look at the Catechism of the Catholic Church. tells us, in contrast, every action, whether in anticipation of the conjugal act or in its accomplishment or in the development of its natural consequences, proposes, whether as an end or as a means, to render procreation impossible is intrinsically evil once again we see these words intrinsically evil means we can't do them under any circumstances so now yes i'm still going to go on and i'm going to tie this all together now with the church's sacred congregation for the doctrine of faith which is one of the highest uh congregations in the church and it deals specifically with church doctrine Two documents in particular define the conjugal act in regards to natural law as being immutable and certain. The basis on which the use of contraception is rejected is ties into other bioethics issues as well, which I talked about earlier. So in Donum Vitae, the church again defines a conjugal act very specifically. It's not talking about contraception this time. It's addressing artificial fertilization. 
And I want to read this to you because I think it's really important. Once again, this is not just a teaching that deals with contraception. It's much, much bigger than that. It's much bigger than the, the teaching on contraception. It really gets into the whole human being, the whole human person, and the whole aspect of marriage and human procreation in all its different uh, stages. So let me read what this document says. This is Donum Vitae. It says, The church's teaching on marriage and human procreation affirms the inseparable connection willed by God and unable to be broken by man on his own initiative. Between the two meanings of the conjugal act, the unitive meaning and the procreative meaning. Indeed, by its intimate structure, the conjugal act, while most closely uniting husband and wife, makes them capable of the generation of new lives according to laws inscribed in the very being of man and of woman. This principle, which is based upon the nature of marriage and the intimate connection of the goods of marriage, has well-known consequences on the level of, human, uh, the level of responsible fatherhood and motherhood. It says, by safeguarding both these essential aspects, the unitive and the procreative, the conjugal act preserves in its fullness the sense of true mutual love and its ordination towards man's exalted vocation to parenthood. So by this document, we can see that this basic immutable truth of the natural law, it binds together more than just the issue of contraception. It holds this truth and it's, it's able to define other questions regarding sexual morality which also can never be changed. Among these, of course, include the, the, the condemnation of masturbation, artificial insemination, as well as homosexuality. All these, all these church teachings will stand until the end of time because they are indeed immutable and they're absolute in the relation to the way God created us. So this is, this is so important for us to understand that this, the natural law is basically ignored by many people today. It's ignored by Catholics. Of course, the Protestants reject it outright. But this is important because the church has the authority to interpret the natural law. It looks at God's creation and how man was created, and it tells us what the right way for us to conduct ourselves is regarding who we are regarding the conjugal act. Now I'd like to close with this, with this podcast from the late, great Father John Hardin on this particular subject. And here's what he had to say about it. He says, It is an infallible Catholic doctrine that, the contracept, that contraception is a mortal sin. Yes, he says. How do we know? We know this from the 20 centuries of the Catholic Church's teaching. Already in the first century, those who professed the Catholic faith did not practice either contraception or abortion, which were commonly linked together. And of course, today we see the same thing. But he goes on, he says, The people of the pagan Roman Empire, into which they were born, universally practiced abortion, contraception, infanticide, cohabitation of one man with several uh, legal wives or with a plurality of concubines. But in contrast with this moral promiscuity, Christians practice monogamy, one man with one woman. They did not use drugs to prevent contraception. They did not kill newborn children whom they did not want to live. They did not practice sodomy or prostitution. And for the Christian, adultery and fornication were grave sins that might require several years of penitential expiation. What do we call the church's unbroken tradition in forbidding contraception? We call it her ordinary universal magisterium or teaching authority. This has always been considered a proof of infallibility or from another perspective, irreversibility. What do these two terms mean? Infallibly means that God protects the church from error in her 2000 years of teaching that contraception is a grave sin against God. Irreversibility means that this teaching will never be reversed. Contraception will remain a grave sin until the end of time. That really sums it up quite well. How many more documents does a church need on this subject? 
I believe that if there was any doubt on the subject before the 1930s, which I don't think there was, uh, but it has been since really hammered home by these many encyclicals and documents uh, penned by the magisterium that this is teaching is not up for debate. I've not even gone back to touch on the the church fathers or other popes who attest to this teaching, uh, but I've taken the church's official documents here at face value. The uh, bishops and theologians today who lash out against these teachings uh, are at odds with the infallible magisterium on the matter, and therefore uh, they're in serious error. It's quite clear that the church's teaching on the use of contraception as being gravely immoral is indeed a definitive and infallible teaching. So I would recommend that you go and, and, and also do your own research on this. Once again, uh, the sources that I used are all read, readily available, either in books or on the Internet. Uh, the main sources that I used for this was uh, Persona Humana from the Sacred Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, which was penned in 1975. I quoted from the Allocution to Midwives, Pope Pius XII of October 29, 1951. I quoted from Casti Canubi, which was an encyclical by Pope Pius XI, 1930. I quoted from Humana Vitae, which was Pope Paul VI, 1968. I quoted from Adamecum for Confessors, which was from the Pontifical Council for the Family, 1997. I quoted from Donum Vitae, which was from the Sacred Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith. I quoted from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And I quoted from the late great theologian, Father John Hardin. I hope that this podcast uh, helps you to understand the church's teaching on contraception. I hope that if you're Catholic, you will really consider going back, reading these documents, really going back in prayer, uh, and really assent to the teaching of the church. If you're married, don't use contraception. Pray that the Lord will give you the grace to live like the church calls you to live. Thank you very much for listening to the Catholic Champion podcast. You can visit catholicchampion.com and catholicchampion.blogspot.com for more Catholic articles. I also have sermons from the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter posted. I hope to have some more new ones going up soon. So you can uh, log in and take a look at that. Also, all the podcasts are available, of course, uh, on iTunes. You just go to the iTunes and search for Catholic Champion, and you will be able to subscribe or download the episodes of your choice. Thank you very much for listening. May God bless and keep you always.